Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large Podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. I hope you're all enjoying listening and reading. Today is a perfect day for my guest because it is exactly one year, almost to the day that we met at NAM in Los Angeles at the Los Angeles Convention Center. We're extremely bummed that we're not at NAM this year. We kind of thought that, you know, maybe back in March, it was going to be two weeks to flatten the curve. And it was clearly not going to be two weeks. It was going to be three months. And then we were proven wrong again and again and again. And finally, after our eyes opened, we kind of all had to realize like, man, this is, uh, this, is not a, this is not a very short time period. This is going to be a while. We're going to, it's going to take us some time to get over this. And uh, so in my inbox, every third day or so, I get an email like, hey, man, how you doing? You hanging in there? Do I need to pivot now or should I keep hanging in there. And I would say that there's a dividing line somewhere about the age of 40. Uh, Under 40, I'm getting a lot of people like, hey, man, I just want to temporarily pivot. What do you think I should do? And uh, over 40, I'm getting people like, hey, man, I'm not sure if I'm going to stick around for a while. And that just makes me really, really sad. And, And I want to make sure that we all have food on the table. But I also want to make sure that when this, when our industry comes raging back that we're all still here to make sure that events happen and the chairs get laid out and the podiums are set up and the mics are on and the lighting happens. So I'm very excited today to welcome my guest. She has a very particular insight on this topic. Her name is Beth Weinstein. She's a conference director and marketer at B-Dub Marketing. Thank you so much for uh, joining me today, Beth. I always love seeing your face. Oh, thank you. It's always good. And thank you for having me. You know, it's interesting because you said we met at NAM, and, and my area of expertise is really large trade shows for people who may not know the name offhand. I was the marketing director for LDI, as well as Chauvet Lighting, as well as Sea Changer, as well as the trade show, global trade show director for L'Oreal for their professional beauty shows. Um, and I've produced shows, you know, as large as. 50 to 100,000 attendees and as small as, you know, 15. So I've seen it from all ends and working on things like concert productions and, and working for corporate America, I've had the opportunity to stay in the production industry, but have weathered the storm of recessions and pandemics because I've been able to maintain a certain level of versatility, right? Mm -hmm. And a network 
that has allowed me to continue doing what I love and being able to help out other people in the industry to continue to do what they love um, by understanding that you have to be adaptable. I mean, the only constant in life is change. I'm a big, Mm -hmm. you know, like that is it. And, And those who cannot adapt to that change are going to have a difficult time dealing with any disruption that comes their way. I am often disappointed that networking as a sole topic, as a primary focus has never been a a class in universities or high school. It's a, it's a skill that's underdeveloped. It is the most important skill that I personally have. I am a shameless networker and self-promoter. And I also understand the value of providing value to that network, right? Like it's not just a one-way street. When you network with people, the idea is if they need something that you could potentially assist them with, they reach out to you. And they Mm -hmm. say, what's your opinion on this? Or who do you know who might fill this role? Or, hey, what are you doing? Would you like to jump in on this project with me? You know, and on the flip side of that is you also have to be the person offering at some point, like, hey, you know what? I got this really interesting thing going on. Maybe you should join. Or maybe, you know, I heard about this gig and I think you're perfect for it. And, you know, like, and understanding that it's that give and take, but a strong network can help you get over some of the more difficult times that are out there. And, and also just emotionally, I think too, especially as we have been in this lockdown, Right. Like it's not just the professional aspect of it, but it's that sanity that someone reaching out and saying, Hey, Chris, how you doing? How's everything going? Mm-hmm. You okay? Yeah. It, it's really tough too, because as a, as a species, we're only designed to be able to recognize 150 faces and remember their names. But in this globalist economy, that's not enough. You can't just have 150 contacts in your phone anymore. You need to know, you need to know who's doing what, where, when, how, and that requires so much data. Yes. Yes. There's a lot of data, but you know what? There's so many great tools that are at our disposal, you know, like social media right here, Mm -hmm. Zoom right there. You know, um, I think one of the things that while networking is such a big component of our industry and, you know, everyone meets at the circle bar and everyone goes to this, the Parnellis and everyone, you know, like there's certain places where people within our industry gather and communicate. Um, I think that, you know, there's also this other network that has been built up over the past year that's more virtual now, right? Mm-hmm. That is more focused on the well-being of people within our industry. And I see that as a good step forward since our industry overall, I hate to say it is predominantly white male. (laughs) And it's not, you know, a group of people that society has allowed to be vulnerable 
to be, um, you know, express concern or, or some sort of self-doubt because it's somehow considered not masculine. And if our industry in particular, I mean, if you look at stagehands and, you know, laborers and things like that, like it's a very hyper-masculine identity. And you now have these men who, some of whom, you know, union workers, stagehands who've been in the industry 20, 30 years have built a nice living for themselves and now are making nothing. And they're wondering how they're going to pay the mortgage and how they're going to send their kids to college and what the hell am I going to do? And like, well, I, yeah, I guess I could do some construction, but is that really what I want to do? Like I've spent all these years putting money into the union and into my career to learn my crafts, you know, and then all of a sudden I got to give it all up and start at the bottom. Like, how do I do that? And, and I see more people reaching out and saying, hey, what's your mental health like now? What do you, let's check in and mm-hmm. see how you're hanging in there and what it is that we can do to support people within our community. Great example, like Chris Lyle during the holidays, uh, the roadie gifts, you know, he has a website and, and um, he put a website together where it kind of correlates all of the Etsy shops and crafts and arts and things that, and businesses that people within our industry are turning to as a pivot while they wait for the industry to come back. You know, so again, it's that networking. It's like, we have to reach out to each other and see what it is that we can do. I've, I've spent, you know, several months working on resumes for people early on, you know, like in the March through June period of time, like saying, hey, I can take your resume and turn it into something that corporate America can understand. Yeah. So you just touched on that rigidity that we've been put all of our eggs in the stagecraft basket. We've There's a lot of people that have been in the industry who haven't had to write a resume for 20 years. I would imagine the idea of even touching a resume again would be very daunting for them. It was. I I have a few friends that I helped out and and it is not easy. Now, once you've done it, I personally think I give good resume, but I'm (laughs) incredibly, you know, uh, full of myself. So um, what it is, is understanding the complexity of production and design and all of the attention to detail that goes into that is actually very translatable to what is needed in most uh, corporate positions, especially those that deal with marketing, project management, you know, and and product development, um, the understanding of technical things, electricity, math, science, you know, the science that goes into light and sound actually can be translated into engineering, (laughs) software development, and all of those. So, you know, the successful people are the ones who understand that, you know, you have to take what knowledge you have and figure out how you can apply that to something else for this period of time, because there is no permanence to anything we know, right? So Mm -hmm. there's no shame in shifting 
gears and going to another industry or going to another job type for a period of time, if anything, it just strengthens you because you then take the knowledge from another industry, another set of people who do things and look at things a little bit differently than you do. And then when you come back, you know, when the industry comes back and you're back in your, the roles that you want to be in, you now have this extra knowledge that you can pour through and add to your database and, and your ability to function. Yeah. Uh, so let's say, let's say I'm going to advise, let's say his name is Jack. Jack reaches out to me. He wants to pivot. You and I both know that Jack is a, he's in entertainment. He knows how to take a, a story and make it more exciting. He knows how to network. We, we, you and I both know that he has so many skills that are marketable to anybody outside the industry. How do you convince Jack? Like, Hey man, all you have to do is change these words on your resume, polish it up, make it a little bit different. And you're perfectly hireable. I think you have to show Jack what the other positions are that are available. And I okay. think especially during the pandemic, um, companies have realized that they can go 100% remote. And there is a lot of value to, I wanna, I wanna say more seasoned employees who are capable of following through with something, okay. Okay. right? Yeah. And I'm not, not saying anything bad about my millennial and exennials out there because there are plenty who are have an amazing work ethic. But um, I think that there is definitely value for those people who can see something through from the start to the end. So I think the first key is list down every skill that you have, every piece of software you know how to use, and then start looking at the kinds of jobs that you would want to have and see what words they use in their job descriptions. It sounds like you could actually even just put down perseverance as one of your skills. It definitely is one of those things that you can put down. You know, um, I think perseverance, the ability to communicate to a wide array of personalities and be able to create a cohesive um, end result, I think is a key thing. A lot of negotiation goes into production um, mm -hmm. of budgeting. You know, I mean, like people want someone who can deliver a product, a project, uh, anything on time and on budget, right? And this is mm -hmm. what we in the prevent in the in the event industry is our goal is on time and on budget. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I think everybody's looking for that, right? So if you have managed projects, tours where you have, you know, responsible for a budget of $500,000, a million dollars, whatever, even if it's 20 grand, write that down, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like manage budgets up to blah, 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 you know, with P&L accountability, accountability, things like, because you have, that's what you're doing. Profit and loss accountability is completely what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Tracking inventory, you know, um, 
doing technical trainings to people who are taking over. If you're the lighting designer and then you then have to train the tour technicians or whatever the case may be, then you've done technical training. Um, Maintain contact with supervisor, constant contact with supervisor. Dealing with high um, maintenance individuals. I mean, just that alone. I mean, anyone yeah. who's gone out on tour and has dealt with high maintenance individuals, you can say, you know, calm under pressure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, the ability, and it also shows that you have the type of personality that has the type of discretion that's needed to deal with sensitive information who if you're working with you know third-party clients and things like that on on projects i mean everyone's knows their way around a uh, you know various do not discuss dnd requirements and things like that um so we're there are a lot of skills that people in our industry have. And I think what it comes down to is you just have to list it all out and be proud of what you have and own it, right? And then look for those jobs initially that like shoot for what you think you are. I think anyone who is has been in our industry for more than 15 years on some level, you know, uh, whether it be design or production, and has worked to actively produce events, you're at a director level. Like don't look for a manager position because you're going to mm -hmm. be overqualified for it. Right. right you're going to be overqualified. So look for those director positions. And there are, and look for those companies. Look, look at what industries are hiring and then go to the corporations. You know, so yes, um, you know, fast food, there's been a lot of hiring in fast food, but you know where they need people like in the corporate level of McDonald's and things like that to do technical training or to develop apps for them or to do animation. And, and since they're moving a lot of their channels online, there's you know, a lot more work for people who do content creation and, you know, people who understand how to use Photoshop and, you know, all of the different programs that are out there. Um, I think those skills are easily translatable and really just keep set up. I think LinkedIn is everyone's best friend when they're looking for a new so gig. Useful. I mean, if you're not on LinkedIn, then you don't want a job. <laughs> My world has almost completely pivoted to LinkedIn. I used to go there maybe once a month and now I'm there every day. Yeah. And it's important because that's where you build the network. And that's more importantly, that's where you figure out how to communicate directly to the hiring managers. That, you know, the same way that you would reach out to agents to try to get gigs, the hiring managers are the agents of this world, right? They're so here's, here's an interesting story. When, when I used to go looking for gigs, when I was uh, trying to make it in this industry, I would, you know, hand my resume the, the normal path, however it was, either in person or via email or mail. But then I would also go down and I would just stalk the theater or the tour or something. And I would just try and meet somebody on the tour, trying to get a, an, an inner feeling, kind of get a vibe for whatever the, the job was. I would kind of like try and get my way into the theater and just kind of soak up the vibe so that it was like on me, you know, but now 
when the isolation period, that's all, you can't do that. So that's all gone digital. And that's what that LinkedIn does. It allows you to find out, well, who works for these people. Now I can go find all the different people that work and have worked for that company. I can get a vibe for them. I can find them on social media. I can find their Twitter. You can, and you just get an idea. Are they all super liberal? Are they very conservative? Are they, what are they looking for? What are their interests? Don't be afraid. That's all public information. It's just out there. Yeah. And actually, if you don't, so I use LinkedIn extensively. It's part of like our business model for what I currently do, which is these small tailored conferences, right? And it is the best place to connect with C-suite executives. It really is. Um, and I have been using Sales Navigator, which is part of LinkedIn. Like you pay an extra, you know, 69 bucks a month or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it gives the ability to like search for people by industry, by title, by location. It gives you alerts if there's... Um, news about them that you have a reason to reach out like hey you got promoted you know congratulations i'd love to blah 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 talk about blah 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 um mm -hmm. and it also gives you a way to like have just a nice dashboard to see who's out there doing what it is that you want to do and you can set up job alerts and things like that and it's so important because that is your resume to corporate america is your linkedin profile mm -hmm. You know, like it's. I, as soon as I learn of somebody's name, I check them out on LinkedIn. That's almost the first thing I do. Yeah, and and how many people do they do I know that they know, and who mm -hmm. and, and I've had multiple people, um, in the past several months reach out to me and say, "Hey, you know what? I just applied for a job at so and so, and I see that you know them there. Would you be able to?" Mm -hmm. And I'm like, "Yep." But, you know, like, let's pass it on. And I, I match make people all the time on LinkedIn. And, you know, I love posting job opportunities up there because I know that they're like, if I'm going to recommend someone, I want to see what their profile is. I want to know what their work ethic is like and, and, and get those recommendations. That's the other thing too. Like, do not hesitate to ask your network to recommend you on LinkedIn. Yeah. It seems so small, but it's not, it's visible. It really is. Especially if it's people that you've worked for or large, you know, producers or things like that, who can talk about your project management skills, you know, more than anything else, that's what you want to have on LinkedIn because that's going to help you make that pivot. Right. And then here's the other opportunity is maybe there are areas that you are more interested in outside of, you know, production that you didn't feel like you had the opportunity to explore before, right? So I went from marketing into production, but production out to marketing is actually not a, a difficult pivot. And I've seen people do it. You know, because so much of what you're doing is creating this visual, creating um, a feeling, evoking something, right? And that is very similar to what marketing is. So it's very quick to make a pivot to that. Um, these are all very visual people. I mean, think about things like photography. There's so much photography in place now. Um, um, you know, figuring out how to turn your 
facilities if you have them into a studio to do virtual casting. You know, a lot of people don't have the capability to wherewithal. And a lot of companies are shifting everything to virtual, you know, and, and we are at the point where we're not post pandemic. I mean, I've been writing, I've been yelling at producers who give me content that are like, yeah, we're going to discuss a post pandemic. No, we're not post pandemic. No, <laughs> we're no, no, no. In the center of this pandemic, we are nowhere near post pandemic. I would love if we were post pandemic, but I think we are six months away at best, you know, yeah. at best. Um, I know as a producer, we have two in-person events scheduled for the end of the year. No contracts are signed. You know, like no facility contracts are signed because we know that anything can change in a short period of time, right? Mm -hmm. And no one wants the liability of those costs. And also... I will tell you as a producer that the margins to do a virtual conference are much bigger. <laughs> right. So yeah, this might be all, around for quite a while. We all want in-person events and, yep. you know, the conversation that my executive management for, you know, my day gig had just recently and everyone knows, yes, we all want in-person events. We all want to go back to that, but virtual is here. And it's not going anywhere. And if you can figure out how to do it well and make it turnkey for organizations um, and make, figure out how to get that interconnectivity that everyone is so desperately craving, um, there is another good pivot. I mean, I've seen companies do that pivot. A perfect example, example is Bob Boniel and uh, Mode. Mm -hmm. You know, they're doing that pivot, um, evoke collaborative, Herrick Goldman, you know, they, they shifted to architectural, a lot of people who, you know, a lot of people have been sustaining themselves through things like architectural, of course, you know, production of television and content is starting to pick up again. That's been an essential kind of job. I mean, it was declared essential workers in Los Angeles and in different areas and, and understanding like you now have a different type of production that you have to do, but it's time to brush off those content development skills and those people skills and go out there and figure out how you can produce virtual content and get in front of the people who have the money. And that's by networking. <laughs> mm -hmm. So let's say Jack has taken steps one, two. He, uh, he brushed up his email. He got his every, he, he, he changed his LinkedIn around. And let's say he gets his first, phone call for a, a zoom interview there are going to be so many questions that they're going to want to know let's say he's applying for a managerial uh, director role in a in a processing plant mm -hmm. they're going to ask him like well what sort of uh what sort of experience do you have doing this and he's he's going to be able to use a lot of the buzzwords that you told him yeah, he's going to be able to say, you know what, I've managed teams up to 150 people, you know, for long term and short term coordinated, uh, you know, transportation mm -hmm. for, you know, gear over X amount of, you know, size, quantity, dollar. Um, the, the key is, you know, focusing on the interpersonal skills 
and and understanding the job that you're going for. I mean, don't discount research. You're going for any job. I don't care if it's, you know, again, Whole Foods. You do all the research you can about Mm -hmm. what entailed in that job before you go in and go in prepared with questions yourself. Don't be like, you know, don't get to that point where they say, do you have any questions? Oh, no. Uh, how much does it pay? Like, don't ever ask that question. Um, don't ever. Know that. <laughs> that's really the key. Yeah, like, you know what your limit is. And that's the other thing is don't go in for something that you think you're overqualified for. Because if you think you're overqualified for it, you're overqualified for it. Mm-hmm. Um you know, going in, assuming that that's going to be a long-term gig. You can go into something that you're overqualified for if you want to pay the bills. And there's no shame in that. Right. I remember during one of uh, a period of unemployment in my early 20s, I started a business picking up dog shit. Poop, poop, we scoop. Um, the first rule about poop club is you never talk about poop club. My husband would probably hate this conversation. Oh but you are but, such a networker. But the reality that's good was, marketing. That's a great it, name. It was it, we're number one and number two. Um, <laughs> we did flyers, had clients, and it was the extra money that we needed, you know, for that period of time. And it was like six months, right? But like that's what I needed to do. I was like, what can I do? I have no money. I have no, you know, I need to like start a business. What's the business? What is the need in my community? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there is no, there is nothing that you cannot do that is beneath you. If you need to survive, if you need to eat, feed your children, pay your rent, pay your mortgage, you do what you need to do. You know, there is no shame in scrubbing toilets. Um, but if you're looking for a long-term job and you're looking to make a pivot, if you think you're overqualified, you're overqualified, right? And, and don't go in there um, thinking, oh, well, maybe it'll get better. It might, but your non-negotiable needs to be respect and needs to, you need to know what your bottom line is. Like what is the least amount of money that you need or willing to accept to do this particular job? And understand what the company is looking for understand what they want ask things like why did the previous person leave (laughs) it's always a good question why are you filling this position how long have you been with this company you know if you're looking for a longer term pivot if you're looking if you're saying to yourself okay this looks like it's going to be longer and I'm close to the end of my career. So maybe I'm just going to step back away from it and see where this takes me. We'll see what that entails for the other people who've been there long-term. And then again, there's also no permanence to any of this. So let's say you say you're going to do long-term pivot and you work someplace for six months to a year and the industry comes back and people are calling you to work again. You can quit no shame in it you know as long as you give adequate notice and you're not a dick about it hey don't burn your bridges behind you but you can easily go and i've done this you know i left the production industry and went into private yachts for a little bit and when i left it was i left to go to to ldi and um i said to them you know like i love working here and i love you people but that's my heart you know, like that's where I need to be. Mm-hmm. And that, 
why I have to leave here and I'll give you, you know, the two weeks that you need or whatever the time it is. And, you know, I'll, I'll gladly transition out and help and pick up the phone if you need me. And I'm still very close with those people. And I've worked with some of them since then. And oddly enough, Informa bought one of the shows <laughs> I used to exhibit at. <laughs> With healthy eyes. So it comes from full circle. Like I was still dealing. So those people who I used to be colleagues with became clients. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's a small world. Like you never know where you're going to go meet these people again. So never burn those bridges. That's a very real concern though, from the employer and the employee standpoint that no matter how, how shiny of a face we put on and how much we we kind of want to be there. That's not our passion. If I pivot out and then I get a phone call to be in Las Vegas tomorrow to program a gig, I'm going to take it. And I don't know. I mean, do I have to be a hundred percent upfront with that? Or do I have to kind of downplay that a little bit? I think you have to downplay that a little bit, right? Okay. I'm saying it's disingenuous, but you know, right now we look at probability. So the probability <laughs> of that happening is not as great as it was, let's say, a year and a half ago. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so I think that's less of a concern, but that's kind of one of those cross those bridges when you come to it. And let's see if you have enough vacation time. Like, so I have a day gig. My day gig gives me health insurance and a guaranteed paycheck. And I get to do something that I enjoy. I wouldn't say it's my full passion, but I enjoy it. And, and I'm, I'm glad with it. Um, but during that same time, I was also consulting with them and doing the designer think tank for them. Right. Mm -hmm. And that was I when I went into the job, I already had that going on. And I said to them very specifically, OK, I want you to know I'm, I'm interested in taking this job, but I do have X, Y, Z that I do on the side. Mm -hmm. And it's another show and it's not competitive with you, but I will need this amount of time over the course of the year to deal with them. You know, like, and I'll use my vacation time to go out on the road. And that's exactly what I did. You're such a workaholic. You take your vacations to go to other work. I did, yes. My vacation <laughs> last year was to do NAM. Oh, this is so pleasurable. Look at me out on the beach networking other lighting designers. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> it is true. I take my, and that's, and I do that though. I mean, I, I, taken my vacation to go to trade shows that I've worked on, you know, on, on, on a side gig, um, because that's what I love. And, you know, it is kind of a vacation for me to see the people that I enjoy and to go to really lovely restaurants, <laughs> and expense accounts for alcohol and food and <sighs> hotels with water pressure. I saw Zachary Borove, who I've known since he was a small child. He's a designer. He was with Mode, and he had done Rock of Ages and some Broadway work. His dad was my high school theater teacher. Small world, right? Mm -hmm. um, he posted on Facebook a couple of weeks ago, you know what? You want to feel like you're back at a gig? 
get into your shower, turn the water on as hot as you can stand it, make the water pressure as hard as you can go, close your eyes and pretend for 15 seconds that you just finished loadout. <laughs> that is the role playing that we've re reduced ourselves to. <laughs> That's awesome. I did it. And I was like, oh yeah, I remember this feeling. Oh yeah. Just take a beer into the shower with you if you have to. Just, you know. <laughs> okay, so let's say Jack has done all of this stuff. Jack sends me an email, and he is so altruistic. It's unbelievable. Should Jack be concerned that he might be taking a job away from somebody else who's... Hell no. Nope. Nope. People don't hire you if they don't think you're qualified. If there was another candidate that was better qualified, they would have hired them. Got it. That is, should not even be a concern for Jack. He shouldn't. Should not even. And if he chooses to leave that job, that other person who might need wanted, who might've wanted that job will have another opportunity. Cool. That uh, if anybody or the one person in particular who asked me that question, they should know that that's, they should not be too concerned about that. No, because they're being hired for the skill and what they have to bring to the job. And as long as they go into it again with the intention of doing the best job that they can for that role for however long they're there, then they've done what they've needed to do. Okay. Yeah. Jack is working on his uh, resume. He's up. He, he got the manager role. He's up for a director role. He, they want to see his resume again. Does his degree in theater mean anything outside of the entertainment industry? Any degree shows that you have the capability of following through on something that you started. Okay. Right. It, any degree shows that you have taken the time to research a, a subject to put in the work and due diligence that is needed to get a degree. Um, I think whether it's and theater, you know, is one of those things that shows that you have a well-rounded sense of pop culture, I think. Okay. Especially if you're, and if you're looking at jobs like um, advertising agencies or marketing or things like that, you know, that comes into play. It also shows a sense of creativity. And then also there's a lot of practical knowledge of, you know, skill sets of things that go into theater, like, you know, how to build things and how to sew things and how to design things, um, how to work together as groups. I mean, that's, theater is nothing but one giant group project yeah <laughs> you know and if you can deal with group projects and you can be the person who delivers the group project because we all know the group project is usually handled by one or two people and the other four or five st stand around with their thumbs up their asses <laughs> and show in seagull management i see right? you went to high school <clears throat> yes no, I, I've been working in corporate America most of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Handling group projects. <laughs> when, when I die, I want my group, all of my partners from group projects to be my pallbearers so they can let me down one last time. So Jack's 
resume for the entertainment industry used to have a long list of all the clients he had and a lot of his rock star clients were on there and they they were uh extremely important I mean, they were the first things that people would notice because they would the employers would go looking through like oh i know them i know the production manager from that tour i know that but now outside of the entertainment industry does that does yes. that have the same meaning Yes, it does. Again, it shows that you have the capability to work with high profile individuals and that you have some level of discretion and that your reputation is such that it, that people who rely entirely upon their appearances and their public appearances shows whatever trust you to do that. Now, what I say, what I say is Make sure, again, that you tailor your resume to every job that you are applying for. Mm -hmm. So it shouldn't just be the same resume each time. You should go in and check to see what buzzwords, because everything goes through a filter. Okay, so I work producing HR conferences with talent acquisition executives. (laughs) I produce content for people who hire people, all about the things that they use to hire people. And all of it requires screening. No one ever physically looks at your resume until after it's gone through two or three different filters. And the filters are programmed to look for specific buzzwords that are in the job description. So you want to try to figure out how to include as many of those buzzwords into the description of what it is that you do. Then you should also make sure that your the clients that you are picking that you want to profile are ones that kind of fit into the corporate persona or you know like you're not gonna list a bunch of rap artists if it's a company that is a family-owned you know you know like you want to go with your top 40 clients you know Mm -hmm. like like make sure that you match what you're listing to and keep it short and sweet you know pick the top five it doesn't have to be every artist that you've ever worked for you know pick the top five highest grossing artists that you've ever worked for and the biggest Mm -hmm. tours that you've ever done and list those and and be prepared to talk about two or three of them Right. And, and what it is that you did and, and the size of the budget and the size of the production and the length of the production, you know, and the different details that it took to get that production put together. That is very valuable. And don't discount that the starstruck nature of it. Everyone wants someone that they can have at the company cocktail party for Christmas who can tell interesting stories about rock stars. hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I don't see why that wouldn't be uh, a, a bullet in your revolver to say, this sets my resume apart from everybody else who's applying. Uh, I live in a small town of about 600, 600 people right now. If I were to put a put my resume into the the local organic farmer's market, I, I think people would be like, what the, who is this guy? What's he? Why does he live here? I think exactly. it would be set me apart for sure. 
Yeah. And that's not a bad thing. Right. And mm -hmm. all it does is just build up your clout. So uh, and then, you know, also think about the ways that you can take that knowledge and produce content with it, too. Right. So here we are having this conversation. Content is the key. Everyone's living in this virtual world. Um, while you're waiting for that gig, keep producing things. If it's not costing you financially, but it's something that you can produce, it's a podcast, it's animation, it's, you know, writing, whatever the case may be. I think you have to keep yourself fresh and going. Mm -hmm. Right. You have to keep your mind engaged and the more content you have to put out there in places like LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, whatever the case may be, it will help people find you and it will help give you more visibility and also just keep you relevant. I mean, you have to remain relevant in some way. This is why everybody needs to take the networking 101 class because it is a very fine line between staying relevant and just being obnoxious. You know, you got to you have to be at the top of people's minds when they're thinking about who's going to be right for the next job, but not so much that they just don't like you. Yes. And then the other thing that I would also highly recommend, which I've done through the years, is volunteer, right? Um, it's oft undervalued, but if you have a skill set, go to your local, you know, homeless outreach shelter or soup kitchen or daycare center or museum or anything, right? And volunteer because that does a couple of things. It keeps you involved in corporate America, business America, especially if you're helping doing administrative things and you want to build on your a resume where you can say, hey, I have corporate or office experience. Um, doing that, volunteering is a very good way to get that type of experience, especially if you feel like you're lacking it a little bit. Additionally, um, corporate different charities are funded by corporations and large donors. And there's a network that gets established within there. And if you can establish your network within not um, nonprofits, it does help when jobs become available somewhere. You know, oh yeah, there's this guy who's been volunteering, you know, and I think he's looking for work, right? Like, and they, and it, it doesn't show a, a huge gap in your resume. And, and also, if you pick something that you love, right, whether it be at the local animal shelter or, you know, reading to foster kids or anything, that also nourishes you emotionally and helps get you out of the funk of, oh my God, everything is horrible. My career is shit. What the fuck is going on? Everyone's dying. Ah, the world's burning down. Ah. When you can give back to someone else and it just, I find that that always makes me feel better <laughs> about myself in general, you know, like, hey, it could be worse and I can help people and that's good. So I think you and I share that need for a reason to get up in the morning 
if, 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 even if it's volunteering, if it's some reason to set an alarm and wake up and go somewhere to do something, even if it's my home office or to save some kittens, that's, yeah. that's I need it. I need it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think everyone needs it. Everyone needs to feel like there's a purpose. Um, you know, my mother is 85 and soon to be 86. And, you know, this pandemic has been a, a shitty time for her because she was volunteering four or five days a week at 85, you know, and like it shut that down. She just got her first set of the vaccine and she's like, I can't wait to go back to volunteering. You know, like the woman can barely walk across a room, but that has kept her vital for this long and kept her brain going because she had a reason to get up and do something and go somewhere, you know? So I think um, we all need that. And, and that will help, you know, if you can't get a day gig right away and you're starting to feel, you know, like the world is caving in volunteer somewhere. And, and very often when you volunteer, they will also, help you find resources that you may need right like mm -hmm. if you're struggling with something volunteering is a great way to get access to other resources that you may need because you know it's putting you in front of a group of people whose sole purpose is to help other people you know yeah if you're hungry go volunteer at a soup kitchen and then sit down and have some soup Exactly. You know, there's no shame in that. There is absolutely no shame in that. Um, and I think it will make you feel better in the long run. And again, anything that you can do as you're trying to build up your resume and your skill set to potentially pivot, you know, take advantage of these opportunities, you know, see what's going on in your local library, what kind of training they might have there, or what kind of networking events that they might have. Um, look for your local Rotary Club, see what is online in your local, I mean, politically, there's a ton of groups, right? Oh, man. Find your local indivisible organization and start volunteering for a candidate that you actually believe in, you know, mm -hmm. before you midterm elections will be here run for something it's another time i mean like hey you know like you got two years if you feel like you want to make a real pivot and you want to make a difference run for something there's also a lot to be said for having a, a plan b exit strategy even if the industry or even when the industry comes back there there's a lot to be said for having a plan b for when you, uh, for when your knees don't work and your back isn't as strong as it used to be, you got to have something that you can fall back on. Yeah. I mean, we, we always have a plan B in production, right? You usually have a plan B, C, D, E, like in all contingencies and everything is going to go to shit and the power is going to go out and this, you know, mic is going to fail. So why don't we have that in our lives? Yeah. I, I don't see why not. We should be willing to apply the exact same logic to ourselves as we do to our productions. Well, you know, my plan C is to sell everything and just move to Canada with you. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we've still got the sheets on the bed waiting for you. <laughs> well, I feel like, you know, a little more hopeful than I did a few months ago. <laughs> so. Yeah. 
Yeah. It was close. It was close. We are almost out of time. I have to address one question that has been asked a couple times and I don't know the answer. Uh, number one, because I'm up in Canada and we don't have the same thing. I'm thinking that you might have a little better perspective on this one. And this question comes up fairly often. Are people not returning to work because of unemployment? Are, are they making enough on unemployment that they're no. not motivated to go back to work? No. Okay. So Florida, as an example, because we have really shitty unemployment. If you were a gig worker, Florida gives you $125 a week. Then you add another 300 onto that. Now, my husband was a stand-up comedian, so I know exactly what I'm talking about here. Um, so now you're making $425 a week. Now, let's say you were a even just the stagehands working at the Orange County Convention Center and going out on tour occasionally or whatever the case may be. You were probably pulling in sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars a year, and you were living like you were pulling in sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars a year. You have a house with a mortgage. You've got maybe two or three cars in the driveway. A kid in college. You know, you can't do that on four hundred and twenty-five dollars a week, and you no. have to pay. So. Yeah, it's, I, I don't think anyone wants to sit at home. People want to work. I think what it points out is that no one was making, a there were a lot of people who weren't making a living wage before. So yes, there may be waitresses and people who worked in hotels, you know, cleaning and doing janitorial work in, in office buildings that are now, if they get that, you know, that unemployment are making a higher wage than they were before, but that just kind of points out the complete inequity <laughs> in our capitalism and, and the fact that these people should have been making a living wage and it should they shouldn't have to make more on unemployment because they weren't even being paid minimum wage and just living off of tips. Good point. If you're making now, if you're making more on unemployment than you were working, I, the problem is not with unemployment. The unemployment, yeah. is, the problem is outside of unemployment. Because unemployment, honestly, is just a small stopgap measure, and it very rarely does it provide you with the income that you've lost. It's not designed to. It never has been. I agree. I agree. And everyone. Uh, Everyone wants a reason to get up and, the, and do something. No one wants to be stuck at home all day. I'm, I love my house. I am so sick of my house. <laughs> I love my house and I'm sick of it. Oh, yeah. Same here. Love my house. Can't stand it anymore. Love my family. Sick of their faces. Love. Oh, my God. Yeah, we're all having our, our we're all uh, responding to this a little bit differently. That's for sure. And it's coming out in some really weird ways after nine plus months. I am coming up on almost a full year of, of lockdown. So I get it. I get it. But, you know, again, lucky I was able to pivot all virtual, still producing events, you know, and I actually shift, shifted from production back to marketing in my company because they said, that's where we need you now. And I said, mm -hmm. okay. 
Yeah, last year I did Nam, and then I did one more gig, uh, or one more flight to Paris for Ayrton after that, and then straight into lockdown. Yeah, same here, Nam, and then I did a corporate learning officer exchange in Austin at the end of February, and then I came back. I was ready to turn around a week and a half later and go back out to L.A., to do a show and and they were like we're canceling it all everything's getting shut down and i was like though i was glad we did get to do the, the nam and and uh i was able to get another event in so yeah who knew i'd ever miss complaining in an airport <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for your time beth I re- <laughs> no problem thank you chris it was a pleasure i'll talk to you soon 